This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning, welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Thank goodness the rain finally seems to have stopped, uh, but the gloom still hasn't lifted. Welcome to another day in the home of common sense where we will attempt to instill some practical ideas into this government uh, of complete and utter fools, led by a man that thought Matt Hancock should have stayed on uh, in his job on Friday and is now claiming that he fired him on Saturday. Oh, really? I'm not sure about that, Boris. Thanks very much indeed for your input. Wimbledon has started, and I'll be talking about that later on. Uh, plus, England are playing the Germans tonight at Wembley to see if they can move into the next round of the Euros, uh, where they might get knocked out by somebody else. Uh, UEFA are firmly in command at the home of football and have changed all the plugs. Plus, there's thousands of their officials living at large in a host of London hotels, doing whatever they want and going wherever they like. <laughs> great, isn't it? Uh, of course, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, as any uh, politician will tell you. Me will be talking to former England manager Sam Allardyce and 73 times cap Sol Campbell after last night's excitement. It's going to have to be something special tonight uh, for everybody to watch. It's a five o'clock kickoff, of course. We'll bring you all of it as it happens right here on Talk Radio. Uh, commentary live, of course, uh, on Talk Sport. Up first this morning, though, we've got Brendan Chilton, the exceptional face of the Labour Party. I'll be asking him if he agrees with me, as I suspect he does, uh, and the Children's Commissioner, that we need to get the kids of this country back to school as soon as possible. And if normality is to return, it should return first in the education business where teachers seemingly haven't quite got it. We've still got something like 200,000 children off because they've been told to go home and self-isolate. Because why? There's a couple of hundred people who have tested positive for COVID. Not that there's anything wrong with them. So what on earth is going on? We need to fix that. Plus, we'll ask him about Pretty Patel's latest attempt to sort out illegal immigration. According to the Daily Telegraph this morning, apparently the border force is going to be shaken up. <laughs> Great. Yesterday, they were going to start uh, sending people to Africa. Something's not quite right, is it? 0344 499 1000. Simon Cole is here as well uh, with his take on what we can expect for the travel business over the next few days. As I said to Julie Hartley Brewer, nobody seems to have a scooby. What is going on? Nobody knows where you can go, when you can go, who you can go with, how many tests you have to have before you go, how many tests you have to have before you come back, how many tests you have when you get back. I mean, really, can we not just make this a bit easier for everybody, for God's sake? Also, Kevin O'Sullivan's here as well uh, to talk about the subject of white privilege, which, of course, uh, he suffers from. Uh, And, as ever, we need to hear your stories too. What are you doing? What are you seeing? Where are you going? What are you hearing? Because you tell us and we tell everybody else. I've got a bone to pick with some of the middle-class champagne socialists who were cheering uh, the NHS at at Wimbledon yesterday because you still can't see a bleeding doctor. So I want your stories on that as well. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is the original. It is the best. It is, of course, the home of common sense. Let's just call it Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, without further ado, let us go and check in with our favourite man in the Labour Party and, of course, CEO of the Independent Business Network. He is the one and only Mr Brendan Chilton. Brendan, a uh, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank I'm you. Very... the rain hasn't stopped down here in Kent, so fake news from you. Oh, sorry. My apologies. Well, listen, I can't be responsible for the weather in every single part of our great kingdom. Uh, what I can tell you, though, is presumably you've also seen lots of uh, unhappy lorry drivers, according to the unions, who I don't never believe for a, in a month of Sundays, who are apparently claiming they're all having to park up in laybys. Well, I thought that's what lorry drivers did. 
Well, they're not parking in Leibois, actually. I, there's a massive lorry park about a mile away from where I am right now. Mm. And uh, half the time it's empty. Uh, so I, they may be parking in laybys, but they don't need to because we built a lorry park. Well, exactly. But why do these people continue with this narrative that you know it's always? It's, they don't even now mention Brexit, but they just kind of hint that it's all about Brexit. And because of Brexit, you know, there's a massive problem. And it's all cobblers, isn't it? Oh, it is complete cobblers. And what we've got now, I, I think we've got remain privilege. We've got a load of people <laughs> who are suffering from a condition. They're not quite sure how to cure it, uh, but I think we need to help them. I, I actually am I'm quite sympathetic towards these mm. people because they're just so bloody miserable. They really are. Uh, uh, and I think you've got to cheer up a bit. You know, OK, the weather's not so good. We're still in restricted lockdowns. We're all worried about Germany and England tonight. But cheer up, mate. Come yeah, on. I know. And also, you know, these are the same kind of people. If you gave them a, a sort of banana, they would look at it and go, well, it's got a bruise on it. I can't eat that. That's horrible. There's something, something <laughs> wrong with that. You know, they're always looking for the bad things in in, in, in every situation rather yeah. than what's good about it, you know? Oh, I know. It's really tragic. They're not the sort of people you'd invite to a party or go down the pub with uh, because, you know, they tell you beer is unhealthy for you and passive smoking will kill you. Oh, and by the way, you're having too much fun. Right. Uh, just really go I away. Know. I know. Go away. Get a life. Uh, or maybe move to France uh, if you'd like. We have just been knocked out yeah. of the uh, of the Euro, sadly. That was a shame, wasn't it? Oh, I was devastated. I really was <laughs> devastated. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if Macron wasn't such a bonehead, you know, I might have had a bit more sympathy for them. But because of his and Angela Merkel's activities over the last week or so, trying to ban any Britain from going anywhere near Europe, they could get stuffed. Oh, I know. And they're being, you know, totally ignorant towards their tourism industry, which mm. in the summer months is largely kept afloat by British tourists right. uh, going to Spain, South of France, Italy, Greece and all the rest of it. And when the uh, the news goes out there and they speak to these local restaurateurs or hotel owners, they're all saying, lift the restrictions. We want the Brits here because they spend their money. Right. Uh, so they're only damaging their own economies. Most of our country's being jabbed anyway. And, you know, when I'm driving around, I see queues outside our local medical centres down here where now you can just go in and get a jab as opposed to booking an appointment. And so I, I really do think EU leaders are being daft on this one. But mind you, so is our own government. Well, so, that's you know, right. we're all in this together. <laughs> I mean, I'm sort of hoping that Sajid Javid, and, and judging by what he said yesterday, is going to be a slightly different kettle of fish than Matt Hancock was. He's, he's clearly not quite as authoritarian. He doesn't seem to want to tell us all what to do. Do, and he does seem genuinely to want to get us out of this. No, I agree. I think it was very encouraging uh, what Sajid Javid said. Uh, I think he said, you know, no more restrictions after the 19th mm. and we are returning to normal, which thankfully uh, our hospitality uh, industry in this country desperately needs. I know a lot of people think, oh, you can sit in a pub socially distanced. But the problem with that is they're not getting the revenue that they would normally get in the hours they're open. No. So we're we're all having a good time as as sort of customers and punters. But actually, the businesses themselves are just about keeping even. Mm. Uh, many of them are not. They're running at a loss. And so it's absolutely vital uh, that this new deadline uh, later in the month is, is not delayed and we're not kept under any further restrictions after that point. No, for sure. I mean, I was in a restaurant yesterday in Waterloo. Um, normally speaking, you know, without restrictions, it would have been absolutely rammed with people, every single table occupied. There was only really about, I think, four or five tables occupied and it wasn't the same. And you could tell that, you know, they're doing their level best to keep everything going, but they're not making any money. 
Well, quite right, you know, because as we know, COVID only impacts on restaurants. It has no effect on, you know, Centre Court at Wimbledon, uh, where people were sitting right next to each other. Uh, I really do think what we're seeing is uh, one rule for those at the top Mm. and one rule for everybody else. If you look at, you know, the world leaders coming here, the G7, Mm. the football and their sponsors, Wimbledon, it's sort of all of those of us earn a nice wage can continue to enjoy our lives unhindered. But actually, you know, the ordinary working men and women of this country that are running pubs, running restaurants, working in difficult jobs, uh, you've got to continue to pay the price so we at the top can, can enjoy ourselves. And frankly, if the government don't lift the restrictions uh, on the 19th, I think the people need to take matters into their own mm. hand and say, up with this, we will no longer put. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing people being much less likely to be wearing a mask now, much less likely to be social distancing, much more likely to be crowding into various things. I mean, tonight, for example, I'm sure there'll be quite a few pubs where people have decided the hell with it. This is do or die. It's not the, it's not the uh, you know, the tournament sort of, you know, round robin anymore. This is knockout football. I'm going to go to the pub and watch it. Absolutely right. I mean, I've noticed as I've gone around, people aren't wearing masks, people aren't socially distancing. And I think people are starting to think we've all had our jabs. We we get these statistics on an almost daily basis about the number of people who've been vaccinated. And they're thinking, well, the jabs either work or they don't. We've all had our jabs, therefore we're now protected. Why do we need to carry on with this nonsense? And so, yes, and uh, on on tonight, let's all hope and pray England pull off its Germany. So let's hope we uh, we do well and we beat them because, we, you know, we might beat the Euros and that will drive the Remainers crazy. Oh, uh, so that would be good. <laughs> They would absolutely hate it. Let's talk a little bit about the story on the front of the Telegraph today, Brendan. I don't know if you've seen it, whereas the Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, uh, has very bravely come out. I mean, I say bravely, but I mean sensibly, I suppose I should say, uh, to say basically, look, we've got to get the kids in this country back to school. Staggeringly, 172,000 children are not in school currently because they've been sent home to self-isolate from something that isn't happening. I totally agree, Mike. And there's a question as to whether or not these children actually do have COVID symptoms or whether they've actually got general flu symptoms Mm. where they're all interacting again, as opposed to being where they were kept apart. Um, It is very serious because we know that a day lost in school for children uh, takes around two to three weeks for them to catch up. And we've had a situation where the the child population of this country that ought to have been in school uh, for the past year, many of them have been at home. Many of them have only been in part time and quite a lot of them have received barely any education Mm. at all. So we actually have a crisis immediately and being stored up for years to come when they're sitting their GCSEs, their A-levels and future technical qualifications. They're not going to have that basic learning and understanding uh, that they need in order Mm. to do well. And the government must, simply must, if it does nothing else, it must get all our children back to school ASAP. Yes, but according to this, um, it looks as though some schools might even close early in the summer because they fear that they haven't got enough teachers, uh, they haven't got enough pupils because so many of them have been sent home, and they fear that it could be as many as a quarter of a million uh, students who have been sent home uh, by the time we reach sort of, you know, the middle part of July. It's absolutely extraordinary because, I mean, I, I see emails from my, my kids' school all the time where they're lambasting the kids for not doing enough testing, where they're saying that, you know, uh, we're doing everything we can, but we've got one case of COVID. I mean, it's literally in single figures the numbers of people who are getting supposedly infected. And many Many of them are not even ill. 
But this might was where it comes back to at what point are we prepared to say we've got to live with this? Because forever and a day, there is going to be a child in a school somewhere that will get COVID. Yeah. Uh, forever and a day, there is going to be someone in a factory or a pub or a radio station or a building yeah. where I am that will have COVID. Mm. Um, we can't then say, oh, everyone's got to go home uh, because other people might catch it. We've got to live with it. And we know that children have got the strongest immune systems. We know they're least likely to get the really severe uh, dose of COVID if they catch it. And so, frankly, schools should not be allowed to close early this summer. Teachers should be forced to stay in and our children must be there and they must be learning right up until the summer holidays. And I would go one further. I think there's a very strong case. Uh, particularly this year over the summer holidays, of keeping schools open, perhaps on a part-time basis, to help those children catch up and get back up to standards so that come September, when the term starts again, uh, we've got the children back to a reasonable level so they can continue with their education. Absolutely right. Stay with us, Brennan, if you would. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Brendan Chilton. I wanted to ask you, Brendan, about the uh, uh, story today, uh, following on from yesterday's story about Priti Patel and this kind of idea of marooning various uh, asylum seekers in an island somewhere off the coast of Africa. There's now this morning talk of consultants saying that uh, they need to sort out the border force because it's not working. Well, we could have told them that a while ago, couldn't we? Well, Mike, um, anything Pretty Patel gets involved with, I have very little confidence in. Um, I think this uh, latest gimmick of, uh, and I do think it is a gimmick of just sending people abroad, you know, it's probably going to be very expensive. Let's just get them sorted here, control our borders. It's not very difficult. Uh, when we had this conversation earlier in the summer, uh, we had the 800 uh, illegal migrants arriving on the Kent and Sussex coast. Uh, and virtually nothing was done about it. And so I don't have much confidence that what she's proposing now will actually be dealt with. And, you know, I bet these consultants cost an arm and a leg. You and I would have done it, Mike, for half the price. Well, or exactly less, right. I imagine. Well, well, exa- well, exactly <laughs> right. I mean, because also when people see that the uh, the, the, the British Navy is being used uh, to send ships into French waters to pick migrants up and help them to get here. I mean, it just seems to be entirely counterproductive. And the numbers are increasing literally every single week because it's a business now. It's an industrial business of people trafficking human beings. You know, surely they must be able to do something better than what they're doing now. I totally agree. The the point you make there, Mike, about this being a business, it is absolutely a business. We know uh, that people are paying thousands and thousands of euros and pounds uh, to get across the channel. And I think we've got to take quite a firm line on this. We've got to follow the Australian model and just simply say, if you attempt to come to this country via the channel or, or other means across the sea, you will be stopped and towed back. Uh, When the Prime Minister of Australia did this some years ago, over the course of a few weeks, the crossings from Indonesia and Vietnam to Australia collapsed. Mm. And I think we just need to take the same hardline approach. Yeah, because, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if these human traffickers are willing to to promise that they, they can bring people here, if it turns out they can't bring people here, then they'll stop doing it. Exactly. The market will decide. I know it's a, a bit distorted referring to a sort of business model in, in this sort of illegal context, but you're absolutely right. If people see them paying thousands of pounds and they're not getting what they're paying for, uh, they'll stop paying. Yeah. Um, 
But I, I think the idea of sending people to some island off the coast of Rwanda, my first question would be is how much is that going to cost mm. you and me, the taxpayer, yeah. uh, rather than dealing with it here? Because I know flights to Africa can cost up to a thousand pounds a time. Yeah. Uh, I don't want my money sending people to sunny climes when we're not allowed to go on holiday. Well, I was going to say, it's slightly ironic, isn't it? That the only people that seem to be able to travel anywhere at the moment are illegal immigrants. Yeah, perhaps we should self-define night. You know, we go up to the Costa Del and have a few drinks. Yeah, absolutely. I fancy an island off the coast of the Mediterranean myself. But um, finally, Brendan, I know you were interested in what Peter Hitchens wrote on Sunday about the sort of demise of British manufacturing. You know, post-Brexit, we've got great opportunities here in this country to start making stuff again. Um, what have you got to say about that? Mike, 100%. It's probably the most important economic decision this country's got to take. How do we revive our manufacturing sector? Obviously not to the scale it was in the 1900s, but to get us up to a position where we can start making more. We cannot be dependent on China, which is a malign force in the world for all of our goods. The pandemic has shown us how important security of supply is. And we need, as Boris Johnson says, to level up this country. And the only way we're going to do that is getting our manufacturing sector up, which means we've got to have a competitive currency. We've got to see more investment in light manufacturing. We need the government to incentivize keeping research and development in this country rather than having it go off to Germany and other parts of the world. Let's make Made in Britain the great brand once again. And this next century will be a strong British century. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Brendan Chilton, as ever, talking perfect sense. A lot of people saying, why does Brendan have to be from the Labour Party? He's so sensible. Brilliant. I mean, Brendan Chilton is one of the most sensible voices we have here uh, at Talk Radio. And I'm very proud of the fact that we talk to him on a regular basis. He speaks very, very well about almost every single subject. CEO, of course, of the Independent Business Network as well. Uh, we've got loads more to do. Uh, we've got loads more coming up. Sol Campbell is going to be talking to us next. He's a former England player, of course. Uh, he's got many, many, 73 caps, I believe he had uh, in the full-time England squad. Played for Arsenal, played for Spurs, of course, as well. Um, a top player. We've got Sam Allardyce coming up later on as well. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, about holidays and what on earth we can do because we should be able to do something soon, shouldn't we, before we all go nuts. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, the time has come, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for a talk radio to announce its true colours. Uh, and it is, uh, in fact, uh, red and it is, in fact, white. Because what's going on uh, is that talk radio right now uh, is moving into England mode. Uh, every single piece of uh, uh, equipment that we have uh, is going to be flying the flag for England tonight because they're playing Germany, of course, uh, in the Euros 2020. Uh, it's the first time they've played amazingly competitively at Wembley um, since the World Cup in 1966. So, uh, can England win? Can England go through to the next round? It was an incredible night last night. 14 goals in the Euros. Uh, two fantastic games. We're going to talk now uh, to one of the former uh, England heroes, Sol Campbell. 73 caps, played, of course, at international level for many, many years, played at the top of club level as well uh, in the Champions League, um, in Europe, played for Arsenal, played for Spurs, uh, a proper, proper legend of the game. Sol Campbell, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very Everyone much indeed right? for joining us. Now, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. They didn't tell me until we just before you and I started talking that we're going to go all, you know, all out for England, right? Because my parents are both from Scotland. And when Scotland played England, I was actually supporting <laughs> Scotland. And I thought Scotland really played so well in that game. They should have really won it. England haven't been terribly inspiring, Sol. Um, what do you think is going to happen tonight? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of nerves uh, in the game. I think people are going to want an exciting game but uh you know hopefully england are tight at the back 
like they have been. Uh, and going forward, a little bit more uh, open and a bit more adventurous and creative uh, going forward. The last game was really good. I saw Harry Kane uh, get a couple more chances because the movement around him was better. Uh, but you can't really discount the Germans. They're a top, top side. They're a proud nation. So it's going to be a tough game. Yeah, I mean, they've had their own problems, haven't they? I mean, their last game in the, in the group was, was pretty good. But the previous two, they weren't. They looked at the shadow of the form selves, didn't they? Yeah, I think for you know the game against Portugal, if that team turns up, yeah, it's going to be a difficult night for England. But if the Hungarian uh, uh, you know game turns up, then we we should have a really good game, and we hopefully we will we will win. Yeah, um, it's a tough. It's fifty fifty. You just don't know with these games, and sometimes the game is um, is either really tight or either either side blows. Uh, the other uh, other country out yeah. of the way, and this like a five one last time when I played, or a tight one nil I played uh, in uh, in the last year in two thousand uh, in Belgium. Mm. And do you approach the game differently as a player if it's a knockout game like tonight, as opposed to if it's a, a you know a, 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 a sort of a round robin you know table game? Yeah, yeah. I think this is the time. This is the moment you start to see who's the proper ballers, who can take the pressure. With the round robins, uh, you know, three games, you can lose one and, and and draw and win and still get through. Now it's like, well, if you lose, you're you're gone. You're going home on your holidays and back at uh, back at your football clubs later on. So it, it adds that little bit dimension, that little bit of uh, doubt. But for me, this is what it's all about. The real competition starts now. The tournament starts now. You find out who's who, and then you so, you find some of the big players really kind of fluff their lines. We've seen that now uh, in a lot of games with that. Uh, and then now we've got the extra crowd. So hopefully the crowd will, will spur on uh, England. Never know. It might kind of dampen the Germans. But they've got a lot of experience as well, the Germans in the side. Yeah. So I think they'll kind of hold hold their own. Well, they have. I mean, talking about uh, people fluffing their lines, I mean, last night Mbappe got up to take that penalty. And I mean, it was such an amazing game anyway. By the time it got to that, I think everybody was like exhausted. It was kind of going, oh, it's surely, <laughs> you know, he can't miss this. Mbappe's not going to miss a penalty. And there, sure enough, he missed the penalty. Yeah, it's such a shame because obviously previously, you know, he's done amazing at the World Cup. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't clicked for him in this particular tournament. Yeah. Uh, he's had the chances. He's had the chances to kind of, you know, had a, a wonderful chance at the end. Paul uh, Popper put him in and he kind of allowed the ball to run across his body. He should have took it early with his right, allowed it to run to his left and, and shanked it wide. So, and then he comes up to the penalty and everyone's thinking, everyone scored. But yeah. then, you know, it, it's just, it's such a shame because he's a wonderful player and he will come back as a young guy. But, you know, he's not had the, the best of tournaments. No, he hasn't. And Portugal out, of course, as well. Um, Belgium are looking pretty good. Who, who have you been impressed with, Sol, so far? The Italians. They've been the all... No one's been perfect. No one's been perfect. Uh, the Italians have been really, you know, scoring goals, quite tight at the back as well. And also, when you think about it, Denmark... They've played amazing. They've been great, I think. They're really, really good. <laughs> They've been amazing. I mean, it's like there's something else going on there. Is that you know obviously uh, Ericsson, the scenario really you know tragic scenario yeah. that has kind of always galvanised the team mm. and they're playing amazing they're playing with confidence they're like they're controlling the back line they're coming through the lines they're defining holes they're scoring amazing goals they're defending for their lives it's like there's something else mm. going on there you do wonder if they're going to be you know this year's Greece. You know, when they kind of surprised everybody and won it a few years back because they have that kind of, you know, you look at Denmark and you kind of go, oh, yeah, I kind of know those guys, but you don't, they're not sort of, they're not for us anyway, a lot of household names. 
Yeah, I understand that. There was, you know, the Castro's mark at the back and things like that and the goalkeeper. But with Greece, Tanare, they were really tight and they kind of, you know, won nils and nil nils and, you know, got through and won like. But with uh, with Denmark, they're being expansive. They've been playing fantastic football. They're scoring amazing goals. So it's slightly, it's a slight difference. But those two teams have really kind of shown um, their, their, their colours and really everyone stepped up. And everyone's playing really, really proper football for both teams. Sure. And and for Gareth Southgate tonight, Sol, what do you think he needs to do in terms of who he picks? Because there's a lot of talk about him being a bit too cautious sometimes, not really putting in enough players who, mm. who can, as you say, feed Harry Kane. Um, who do you think he needs to pick up front? I think he's going to have a problem because obviously, you know, Mounds and Foden... That is probably in his head before the tournament. That's his, that's his team, you mm. know, in and around uh, in around Kane. Saka's come in and Jack Gillis has come in and they've played wonderful. So, it's in a way, it's good to have that kind of problem. Uh, and Sterling, obviously, is, is knocking him in as well. And he's, he's uh, you know, signing his uh, critics and he's going, you know, showing his character, strength to strength, being a top, top player. So, it's going to have a problem. Who does he go back? Because it's not their fault, obviously, with the COVID scenario. Uh, Mount missing the missing the the last game, so he might go back to that formation. And if it doesn't work, I can see Jack Grealish and um, uh, Saka coming on, maybe second off. They've both been, they've both been pretty inspirational players, haven't they? Wonderful. Yeah. It's been incredible. Good Wonderful. To, really good to watch. So, without wishing to give too much away, Sol, um, obviously, <laughs> I'm going to ask you for a prediction tonight. I've already gone. I've actually gone. Um, uh, the, the mother of my two youngest children is German, right? So, half German. So, my kids are actually sporting <laughs> Germany, right? Which is slightly <laughs> off putting. Um, but uh, I'm going 2 1 Germany. Do you know what? I would agree with that. I would will, I will go. It's going to be a tight game, nervy game, and uh, I'm going. England sneak a nice little 2-1 win. Okay. And if England yeah. can get through, um, they could have a relatively easy uh, next game. Could they win it? They can definitely get the, 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 the... It's opening up. The draw is opening up very, very nicely. So now we've got to do the business now with Germany. And uh, we can't take anyone for granted. So really, take, take care of this game first. And it opens up. And we could easily... Not easily. Still got to do the work. You know, you never know. But we can get to the final. It's not like we've got too many big, big obstacles. Mm. But sometimes, you know, if Denmark gets in there, there's there's, there's check. You, you, you never know. You never know. You never know. But it's opened up nicely for England. Let's see if we can go all the way, at least get to the final. And are you, are you getting out to the pub to watch it or are you going to be relaxing at home? No, I'm doing I'm doing talk sport. Oh, so are you? Uh, I'll be there. I've been doing talk sport all, all the way through uh, following England. And uh, I'll be there tonight. Well, so you'll be at Wembley, later. top man. Excellent. Well, we should look out Wembley. for you. Uh, listen out for you at Wembley. Sol Campbell on Talk Sports tonight. Brilliant stuff. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, former England player, of course, 73 caps. He thinks it's a, just about a 2-1 win for England. I'm sort of in two minds, as I say. Uh, being Scottish, I find it quite difficult to, to support England. But I guess I'll probably be forced into it because Talk Radio now uh, is all about supporting England tonight. It's all about making sure that the three lions and the sign of the three lions is all over the place. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Let us talk now to Andrew Mawson, uh, who's founder of Advanced Workplace Associates, because one of the things that lots of people have been talking about, of course, since last year, is whether and when, or if even, people go back to work in offices. Boris Johnson seems to have been confused. At one point, he wanted everybody back. Then he didn't want everybody back. Uh, we've heard from many companies that they've offered people the opportunity to come back if they want. Other companies have said, no, we're not ready yet. I've heard from people who work in the United States that they're all going to be back in working properly, fully uh, operational and fully populated in their offices from sometime mid-July. Uh, let's find out from Andrew what the story is. Andrew, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thanks, Thanks very much indeed for uh, joining us. Um, Pleasure. 800,000 workers at risk of leaving central London is what we're hearing. Um, is that a figure yeah. that uh, uh, you've, 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 you've found surprising? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, if you look at all the jobs in London, a large proportion of them are what we call white-collar professional roles. Mm. So many of those have the potential to be done outside of London. Uh, and I think what we said in the report is that, you know, when you look at all those jobs, I mean, there are roughly something like two million um, people working in different roles within London. About half of them relate to uh, more professional white-collar roles. And, and of those, as we've assessed those roles, we've identified that about 850,000 have the potential to be done outside of London. These are people who currently live in London, of course. Yes. Now, we're not saying that all of those... People, there's going to be a mass exodus out of London with 850,000, but we're just pointing up the fact that these are potential situations where people could potentially leave London and, and live in other places. Right. And what would be the effect, do you think, on the city in that case? Well, I think, you know, it's quite clear, I think, that even, I mean, if you take this community of people that potentially go, but also commuters who come into London who possibly don't need to or won't in the in the new world. I think what we'll see is a, a lower demand on infrastructure. I think with less people in offices, I think we'll probably see peak times during the week where people decide they're going to come in maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. It'll be a little bit quieter. But on the other hand, I mean, it does provide potential capacity for economic growth for London, which doesn't rely on you know, physical presence, if you like. Well, right. But there's an awful lot of people who work in London who rely on sort of footfall, is there not? I yeah. mean, for example, are, in, yeah. in parts yeah. of the city, which which I don't go to very often, to be honest, but places like Covent Garden, the West End, to a large extent, very much dependent upon tourism. Yeah. And tourism yeah. simply isn't here at the moment. And I'm, I mean, I guess if tourism comes back, that will be a help. But if a lot mm. of people cease to work here, then those businesses could go under as well. Well, I think that, that that may be a consequence of this. I mean, I think it's it's a little bit like um, a little bit like water. You know, I mean, what we've seen over the last um, ten or fifteen years is a greater interest in flexibility, and also, you know, the technology has enabled more of that. And that's not a trend that's just sort of perked up as a consequence of the pandemic. It's been here for a while. So I think that's the direction of travel. And, and I think what London needs to do is recognise that that is the direction of travel and and go with it. You know, I mean, it may mean that we, we change the, the purpose or the designation of certain buildings. It may be that we have to change the way we think about um, uh, entertainment and so on. But I mean, I think... I, but but I when totally you say change with... the way we think about it, I mean, you're talking yeah. about a lot of people's livelihoods, aren't you? But you are, indeed, yeah. And... Um, uh, but I think we need to embrace it as opposed to fight against it because it's 
it's a trend that is is here with us and it's been with us for some time um, and you know we need to go with it rather than railing against it I yeah i don't think it's a question of railing against it so much but i mean if you for example have um, a building like the shard uh, which mm. is right next door to where we work. Um, yeah. I, I spoke to somebody who was working in there probably about, I don't know, maybe this time last year, uh, and they said there was something like 10% occupancy. The hotel that was inside it, it wasn't really op- occupied at the yeah. time. Um, if you have a building which is only occupied, say, by 30% um, in any given day, what does mm. that mean for corporations and what does it mean for corporate sort of rent well, and that kind of thing? Well, I think what it means is that corporations will need less space. I mean, I don't think there's any argument about that. The, the the trick is using that space evenly across a week, as opposed to sort of seeing ridiculous peaks during the middle of the week. But yes. I think you can expect organisations in general to need less space. I think the purpose of that space will be different. I think London will become a place where people come to to network and to 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 be entertained, uh, to connect. Uh, as opposed to it being a place de facto they go to because that's where the container, you know, the office container they've been involved in mm. is, uh, is is base. And does know. that necessarily benefit other parts of the country or not? Well, I think it probably does because economic activity locally to where people live, I think, should, should increase. Uh, I think we're already seeing quite a substantial hike in house prices, for instance, in, uh, in rural That's locations. because people are moving out of London and buying ex- much cheaper houses and pushing the prices up so you'll get the locals moaning that they can't afford to buy a house anymore. That is that is also true. <laughs> yeah. And what about, I mean, because also if you're working from home, you're not likely yeah. to walk down to the local sandwich shop and buy a sandwich, are you? You're going to just make one. Well, I think, that, I think you may or you may not. You may hop out for a coffee. That meeting you're going to have with a colleague, you know, who lives in a, another part of North London, for instance, you may well have it you know, in a, in a local coffee shop closer to where you are as opposed to travelling mm. into the central I mean, town. it's a very middle-class kind of dream, this, isn't it, is, is what slightly worries me, that the working class, the blue-collar workers, the people who drive trains, drive buses, drive taxis, uh, deliver mm. food, you know, they're still going to have to need uh, to be employed in one way, shape or form. They can't sit at home mm. and deliver your food, uh, you know, uh, virtually. No, I think that's a fair um, that's a fair observation. I mean, the, the economics will will definitely change. I think. Yes. And, and we'll have to think about how we um, how we redeploy those individuals. But I mean, let's face it. I mean, you've got these buildings that we were talking about that will be, you know, progressively. I think companies will need less space, but that will mean that there is more space on the market, and that will also mean that companies who need smaller chunks of space, who perhaps previously thought it was too expensive to be to have a base in London, could could have a base in London. So I think it just changes the dynamics, really, uh, of, the, of the market. Smaller and more, potentially, is, the, is possibly the way forward. Yeah. And so in terms of timing uh, of all of this, what, what, what are we talking about? Are you talking about the next couple of years, next five years? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, you're already seeing the beginnings of it now in terms of people deciding to, um, you know, move out a, a little bit. I mean, I think in terms of the the corporate situation, it's more difficult because, of course, you can't just all of a sudden throw in your lease. You know, most organisations, most large commercial organisations are on leases of, you know, between sort of three, five and ten years. So they can't just instantly jettison the space they don't need. They will. It'll be a, a slow 
progression. And, and to be honest, some of those companies will maybe find, uh, sublet some of their space to other organizations, to partner organizations, or even find other ways of using it. I mean, we know organizations that have converted office space into hotel space so that their, you know, their colleagues coming from other parts of Europe don't need to take a hotel room. They can, you know, they can take space in the, the office hotel, if you mm. like. So it needs a bit of innovation to, to see how we can right. we can use this. Space. I'm not sure what I think about this, but I'm not sure I'm keen. But we'll talk again, Andrew, I'm sure. Thank you very much indeed. Andrew Mawson there, founder of Advanced Workplace Associates. Um, you know, this talk of kind of, you know, uh, the, 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 the Apple MacBook Pro Brigade telling everybody else how they're going to live, it's kind of a bit Orwellian to me, isn't it? A bit kind of dystopian. Let's just do away with high-rise buildings. Let's put everybody up in a floor where they don't have to call it a hotel room. I think it's all a bit strange. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, Sam Allardyce is a man that's managed more football clubs than I can probably name uh, during the amount of time we've got to speak to him. So let's just introduce him as the former England manager, Sam Allardyce. Very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. How are you? Very well indeed. Exciting game, isn't it? I mean, our, our appetites were sort of whetted last night, Sam, by those two fantastic games where I think it was 14 goals were scored. I mean, I literally, I mean, I don't particularly dislike France, but I was really pleased when they lost. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of us a little bit like that. But I think what, what was, uh, what was uh, exciting so much with both games were, were very similar, where one team was losing and all of a sudden, just before the end, uh, Croatia scored a couple of goals, took it to extra time, then the Spanish won. And then, of course, France and Switzerland, France looking like they were going to go through. Switzerland, the underdogs by a long, long way, uh, come back to get 3-3 and then win on penalties. So it's been a fabulous, uh, fabulous evening for football yesterday. And we want it to be a fabulous evening yes. for England fans tonight. And we hope we can play with such endeavour and vigour and skill and ability and will and desire as we saw against the Swiss, the Swiss team against mm. the French well, last right. night. If we've, got that, if we've got that, we've got every chance with the ability we've got to win this game. Yeah, there's no question it's a very talented team. And and unusually, I suppose, for, for this fixture, Sam, England are not really the underdogs, are they? Because Germany are not as good as they used to be. No, they're not as good as they used to be, but they're still a force to be reckoned with based on the previous outcome of these games and I think that mentally it's going to be a real test for the England players because we all know about the past I know Gareth said you know it's about the future it is it's about uh, recreating and making a better future for the England team particularly winning against Germany because it's been so long since we've done it but certainly at Wembley tonight with the fans behind them and the players to play to their best and use the right tactics and play correctly I think that they will need an opportunity to score and somebody needs to make it. And hopefully that's Harry Kane getting off the mark because it's been a long time since mm. he's put the ball in the back of the net and we can win this game and move on. Yes. What do you think the Germans' weakness is, Sam, without having to tell them and share it with them? I think that weakness is what we saw against Hungary. I think it's at the back now. I think that they can be exposed. I think they can be uh, they can be broken down. They can get If you can get in behind them with the pace we've got, and play the right balls in the right area. And I think what we have to do, we haven't done up to now, is defensively mm. brilliant, very sound, very solid. But what we haven't done is move the ball quick enough in, in between the lines and in behind the opposition defence. We've spent too much time passing it sideways and backwards for me. We need to move that ball a lot quicker and expose the German defence 
as quickly as we possibly can. If we let 10 and 11 men get back behind the ball, we've found that to be a struggle, certainly in these Euros. Yeah, and do you think the, the criticism of Gareth Southgate, that he is a very defensive-minded manager because that was what position he played, is that fair? It's not fair, no, but I think what you have to understand is that what everybody says on the outside of the world of football, inside the world of football, probably the team that wins the Euros will have the best defensive record. Mm. And that's what's happened throughout most of these big tournaments. France in the World Cup, uh, when they won it, had the best defensive record. And I think that then you've got to rely on the, the talent of your front men to take your chances. But England shut out Germany and don't concede a goal. They've got every chance of winning this. And if it's only by 1-0 and it's not that thrilling, then fair enough, we'll accept that. But let's hope it is a a much better game than we've seen mm. before from England and more goals. Yes. Well, certainly there's been plenty of goals. There was some great games in the in the Euros this 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 time around because I I've, I've been sort of, you know, reluctant to watch a lot of football in the past year just because I haven't liked it with the empty stadiums, but I sort of the first proper game that I saw was the Champions League final. But I've watched loads of this and it's been fantastic, isn't it? It has. And I think that uh, as, as we get past the group stages, I think when we get to the latter end of the group stages, when people actually need to win to get through to the next level or get through to the next round, or in particular where they finish in those group tables, it gets more and more exciting the closer they get to the end. And then when we get into the knockout stage, as we've seen, I mean, there was a pretty good game, even though it was only 1-0, was, was Belgium and mm. Portugal. Yeah, I mean, that was a really good game as well, particularly second half. So... We're seeing the best of teams coming out in these knockout stages now. And uh, obviously, fingers crossed tonight, we'll see the best of England. Mm. We'll see England's best performance tonight in these Euros. And as a manager and, and, and as a player as well, does it matter what time the game's at? Because it's at five o'clock. I mean, obviously, it means an awful lot of people will be knocking off work early to go and watch it somewhere. But does it matter as, as a manager or a player that it's not at seven or eight? No, not now. Uh, we've dealt with COVID for... for nearly two seasons now where we've we've kicked off at 12 yes half 11 half past two right seven <laughs> o'clock uh quarter past eight right uh, sunday monday friday saturday you name it we've done it now mm. so the players have with the covid situation have become used to the the different game times mm. as it were in my day where it was only three o'clock yes. on a saturday afternoon you know no. that's long gone now so that won't be a problem for them but what is a problem is obviously how they build up to this game. Mm. Tactic fine, but in terms of the mental strength the players will need is the big question. Can they hold it together mentally and can they deliver? And if they can do that, then they'll produce their best football. And as you say, we've seen Portugal going out, we've seen France going out. Who do you think is the best manager in this tournament? Wow, that's a, that's a tough one. I mean, at the moment, I have to say... Um, uh, Denmark and Switzerland, the way Denmark mm. have coped with the Christian Edison thing and what he's done with the team and what they've done to to, to get through because they lost the first two games. And then then Switzerland last night, I think that, you know, the tactics he used, the substitutions he made and obviously the will and determination of the players. So, because they're underdogs, both those, those managers get don't get the credit they deserve. So, I think from my point of view as a manager, looking at their 
contribution to their team massive. Yeah, because they're really punching above their weight, aren't they? And what about yeah. the Germans? How's uh, what, what's the most important thing if you were if you were out there? And I was going to ask you, you know, do you ever think sometimes you wish it was still you that was there? And I know that's that's a bit of a thorny question for you, but but if you were still out there, would you be? Um, uh, what would you be telling the players of, from England to to do to make sure that the Germans couldn't get anywhere? Well, after I'd focused on, on the, the Germans' uh, strengths and weaknesses, I'd be talking, it's all about us. It's all about what we can do and how we should do it and how we should go about it. So the final focus for me would always be about how positive we need to be and what we need to do and how we need to perform. And then, of course, after that, from a tactic point of view, is to prepare right for the game and make sure you calm the players down. You look at the player's body language and if you see anybody getting overexcited, you, there is no need for any motivation of these players for this game. Mm. It's actually keeping them a little bit calmer rather than actually trying to motivate them for this match. Yes, because I mean, everyone says that Scotland's best performance was obviously against England because they were right up for it. And if they had been up for every other match, it might have been a different story. But, but um, you know, the England players, have all, they've all had pretty long seasons. So is fatigue an issue as well? Yes, obviously fatigue's an issue, but, but England have been lucky because they haven't had to travel very far like other teams. Mm. You know, I, was, I was listening to the Portugal game where you know, they travelled something like five or 6,000 miles throughout the stages of, uh, of the games. Right. And Wales was the same, I think. You know, so England have been pretty fortunate from that point of view. And there is a lot of players, obviously, that will be tired that have played in cup matches, Champions League finals, and league matches throughout the season will feel... The fatigue but fatigue is in the mind you get rid of that fatigue by the quality of this game mm. and by your mental resilience and say this is the biggest game of my life at international level it's bigger than the croatia semi-final for me because it means so much mm. doing it on our home soil so let's hope they can uh, reproduce a great performance mm. And we've got the three lines on the Talk Radio uh, crest today, Sam, because we want to try and sort of get behind the team properly. Um, is that su are you a superstitious man? Would you be somebody that would welcome people who do sort of strange things? I mean, I've spoken to loads of footballers who say, oh, I always put my left sock on first and the right oh. sock on second and all of that. Um, do you believe in all that? Uh, it's quite amusing uh, in my long time as a manager to actually see some of those superstitions yeah. in play in the dressing room. You know, I've seen a player go and warm up, come off, take his boots off, take his socks off, take his strappings off, then re-put his strappings back on, re-put new socks on <laughs> and put a new pair of boots on and go and run out again. Right. And, and then I've seen one lad who has to go to the toilet two minutes before they've got to run out. And then you've seen all those quirks. You see lads who will start with their shirt first, then the shorts and slips, right. then the socks. The, there's lots of superstitions across the board. Goalkeepers with their gloves so on and so forth. So it's, it's quite quite interesting when you stood there as a manager, just observing these superstitions and lads feel much better. You, you, you don't talk about it, you just let them get on with it. Just let them get on with it. And, and would you, if you were picking the team tonight, would you pick Grealish? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, I'd play, uh, I'd play Grealish in a wide position where he's been most effective for Aston Villa. And uh, certainly he's the one man for me that can actually... Uh, take the ball and commit commit um, German players to trying to take it off him and he'll skip past them and create opportunities for other players and he will attract other German players to come and mark him 
So there'll be two or three players around Jack Grealish if he plays tonight. And that will release a lot of space for other players. Right. And and, and Harry Kane, if he doesn't start firing in the first half, do you take him off at half-time? Not your captain, no. And not your best goal scorer in the England squad. You have faith in him. And uh, you believe that if you, he will get a chance. And that is one of his problems, that the England players haven't provided enough chances for Harry to score, actually. So it is a little bit about the fact that he's had little or no chances to actually capitalise on. So let's hope they make a lot more chances from tonight. And I'm convinced I'm convinced he will score. And I also think that England would probably get the winner, maybe from Harry Kane or maybe from a free kick tonight. And if they do get through tonight, do you think they can win it? Massive boost to the uh, the confidence, yes. Um, and of course, uh, they've just got to not think about that. They've got to think about just the next game and just getting through the next game. I mean, we were so close last time, uh, 20 minutes from the World Cup final against Croatia, 1-0 up, and uh, we didn't quite manage that. So uh, let's make sure if we get in that position again, let's just get through tonight and see where we go. OK. Have you had a call from Daniel Lever yet, Sam? <laughs> no, not from Daniel, no. <laughs> Just not thought yet. I'd ask. Well, you never know. I mean, it's early days, well, isn't it? <laughs> I'm here, Daniel, if you want to ring me. There you go. Thanks very much indeed. Sam Allardyce there, former England manager. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe we'll be the next Tottenham manager. You just don't know. In football, anything can happen. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.